So for those of you who have uh, already graduated high school, does anybody remember the, uh, like the commencement speech that was given at your graduation? Does, nobody does? Neil, you do? Oh, I knew I could rely on someone. Thanks, Neil. Um, so I, I kind of remember mine. Here's what I remember from mine. Uh, it was from our senior class president, uh, our student body president. His name was Randy. And he was like total hippie slash redneck. And, like that's not derogatory. Like he embraced this. And, and uh, Randy and I were good friends. Uh, he actually wore, to the, <laughs> this is funny, uh, to the graduation, he wore his robe. And then he had moccasin boots that were like up to his knees. And so, you know, sitting up on stage, like you could totally see the moccasins. And, and then all I, the only other thing I remember is that he, uh, he quoted Joe Dirt in his, <laughs> which if you've not seen Joe Dirt, that's probably not funny at all to you, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a funny movie. Probably not a good graduation commencement ceremony speech movie, but it was funny. Um, today's graduation Sunday. Uh, and like I said, our, our grads were here first service, um, but um, we're going we're gonna to take a look on this graduation Sunday at a, uh, a speech that was given in Scripture. Uh, the, the portion of Scripture is, is pretty familiar, um, but it was almost a graduation speech of sorts. Uh, it, was, it was a man who was giving a speech to the next generation who was getting ready to enter into the next phase of their lives. And so he was encouraging them and instructing them in this, uh, in this situation. But in order to get there, we need to first rewind a little bit and catch us up to speed on the story where we're, where we're picking it up. <clears throat> so we know, <clears throat> excuse me, the Israelites were God's chosen people, right? Through scripture, we see that God had a special plan for Israel and the people uh, of Israel. They were God's chosen people for God's specific purpose, we also see that when we, when we look through the story of the Israelites, they kind of had some rough patches, um, not the least of which being that through a series of un unfortunate events, they ended up in slavery in Egypt. Uh, so they lived their life in, in slavery and oppression. And then God raised up this man named Moses, who would bring about the bring the Israelites out of free uh, out of out of slavery into freedom, and so remember that Moses was not very good at public speaking. He said, "No, God, not me." And God's like, "No, it's it's you." Uh, and he sends his brother along with him. They go. They talk Pharaoh into um, freeing the slaves. They take off. The Egyptian armies take off after them. And then what happens? The sea kind of swallows them up, right? And so the Israelites are free from the Egyptians. <clears throat> this sets off a period of traveling and wandering. Uh, about three months after they had been freed from the Egyptians, they find themselves uh, in a camp at Sinai, the wilderness of Sinai. And it's at Sinai that some very, um, very important things take place. It's at Sinai that Moses is called up by God to Mount Sinai to have kind of this one-on-one -on -one meeting together. And in this meeting, God gives something very special to Moses. Participation here. Who remembers what, what God gave Moses? The Ten Commandments. All right, good deal. Just making sure. You guys passed. You can graduate now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> So Moses meets with God. God gives him the Ten Commandments. They come back down. There's in this wilderness of Sinai, 
the people of God enter into a covenant relationship with God. They make this covenant together, and it's in this uh, setting that this happens. And the Ten Commandments become kind of the um, the bare essentials of the covenant, like the people's responsibility to uphold their part of the covenant. God gives them the Ten Commandments as kind of a guide. So we fast forward a little bit. Um, the Israelites decide to stay in the wilderness of Sinai for almost a year, just shy of a year, um, depending on what account you're looking at and uh, who the scholar is, someone who's a lot smarter than me. Um, but they say uh, just under a year and they, and they took off to their next destination. And this sets off this period of wandering uh, from wilderness to wilderness. And they're in search of God's promised land. Part of the covenant that God had made with them was this, this new Land, this promised land of prosperity and good things. And this is what they were wandering around trying to find. They, they left Sinai to find this promised land. Now it's interesting to note that in the midst of this wandering, before they enter into this promised land, the entire Exodus generation, the generation who was freed from the Egyptian slavery, that entire Exodus generation, through their actions, had disqualified themselves from being able to enter into the promised land. The, the account you can find in Numbers 13, 14, uh, we're not gonna, we're gonna dive too much into it, but basically, um, we, we, have, we have the Israelite people and they were, um, they were looking for this promised land and they had come across Canaan and they sent some spies into Canaan to kind of see, to, to scope out the situation, to see what this land was like, see what it would look like for us to take over this land and for us to be able to enter in and inhabit the promised land. And so they send the spies and the spies kind of see that this is a pretty cool place. Like there's lots of good things here, but there may be some obstacles to us getting here. Uh, there's really big, scary people who are uh, going to be standing between us and our promised land. So they come back and they kind of tell the people that this is, uh, this is the situation. And Moses says, let's do this. It's going to be difficult. And he's got some supporters. But the vast majority of the people say, I don't really want to go up against those big, scary guys who are standing between us and the promised land. And so their fear kind of leads to a moment of disobedience. Their fear keeps them from realizing what God has promised for them. And so they decide not to enter into, uh, into, enter into the promised land at that point. And in that moment of disobedience, God um, essentially says, for this generation, you will not enter into the promised land because you have been disobedient. Then we see later that uh, Moses himself had actually disqualified himself from entering into the promised land. The guy that God had hand chosen to lead the people from Egyptian slavery into the promised land, in a moment again of disobedience, Moses disqualifies himself uh, from entering into the promised land. Essentially, the people were thirsty and they were complaining and Moses as a leader, um, knew that he needed to get them water. And so he cries out to God and God basically says, uh, command this rock to give you water. Uh, just speak to it, tell, tell the rock to give you water. 
And Moses is kind of thinking probably what you and I would think. Like, that's crazy, right? That's not going to work. And so he kind of takes matters into his own hands. And rather than just commanding the water to come out of the rock, he actually strikes the rock to get water out of it. And in this moment of disobedience to God's will, um, Moses disqualifies himself from entering into the promised land. So here we, here we, have, um, we have the people, we have Moses leading the people, and it's um, and they've wandered and wandered and wandered, and they're finally on the verge of entering into this new promised land. And it's in this setting, along the, the, the Jordan River, looking into the promised land, hoping for what is, uh, what is to come next, that we find this speech that I want to dig into. We're going to be in Deuteronomy. If you want to, if you want to follow along, we're going to be in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. Uh, we'll kind of... Um, scatter through. Uh, so if you don't want to follow along, that's, that's totally okay. Deuteronomy chapter six. Um, remember the situation. Uh, they're on the verge of entering into the promised land. Some of them have been disqualified from entering into the promised land, um, but the, the next generation is on the verge of entering into this promised land. And in that scenario, in that situation, we have Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is kind of a, uh, essentially a series of Moses' last words or last speeches to this next generation that's waiting for the next chapter in their life. Moses is, is talking to them and telling them about what God has done for them and, and kind of encouraging them and giving instruction on entering into the next phase of their life. And this collection in Deuteronomy are kind of some of the words that Moses had spoken to that next generation. In the first few chapters, uh, Moses essentially kind of summarizes their story. He talks about where they've come from, um, what they've gone through, and where they're at now um, with the common theme that God has always been there. Um, he kind of paints this picture of a pattern of living that is very easy to see when you read the entire Old Testament. This pattern of God speaking and people obeying to a certain point and then eventually disobeying God and then uh, turning back to God. And that's this cycle of obedience and then disobedience. But what Moses kind of does for the first three chapters of Deuteronomy is, um, is, is summarizing this story with one kind of major thought in mind. That even in the midst of the people's disobedience, God was faithful. God was always faithful. God did not abandon, and God will not abandon. Moses kind of summarized this crazy um, sequence of events that they had gone through and said, God is faithful. God will not abandon. And it's here that I want to kind of jump into this, this section of the, of the uh, speech that now, this graduation speech, if you will, that Moses gave, again, to the next generation entering into the next chapter of their lives. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, we'll, start, we'll start with verse 1. Uh, it says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, a.k.a. the promised land. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. 
Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey that it, so that it may go well with you and you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. So we have Moses kind of um, starting off this speech. And it's right here that, that I want to, um, this next section that I really want to focus on today. Moses kind of begins this section um, with this profound thought and speech. And this is a very pivotal speech in the, in the culture, in the history of, of Judaism, and even uh, today in the culture of, of, of Judaism. This is profound, and this is vital, and this is central. Uh, it's become a part of Jewish culture, so much that they, they, uh, they repeat this daily. They pray this next section daily. And here's what Moses has to say. He says, hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. I want to talk about um, this idea of hearing for just a second. This portion of scripture right here uh, has become known as the Shema. You guys have heard of the Shema? All right, a couple of you. Cool. Um, the Shema, this profound piece of scripture that is repeated daily, starts off by Moses saying, hear, O Israel. The term Shema actually means to listen or to hear. But I want to explore that word um, before we go any further. After I rehydrate, of course. Hear, O Israel. Shema, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Now, I want to make it very clear that the term Shema, when it comes to hear, goes much further than what we might initially think when we hear the word hear or listen. Hear or listen, Shema, is much more than simply allowing sound waves to enter into our ears, right? It means that there is more to just hearing than allowing the sound waves to enter into your ear. The hearing that Shema refers to means that you hear it, the sound waves enter into your ears, but it demands a response. Like you have to do something with what you're about to hear. That's the idea of hear. It's kind of like, like this. I have, I have two sons, uh, Jensen and Judah. Jensen is three, Judah is one. There are times in our life together where the two of them kind of, uh, fight a little bit, maybe, like have disagreements. Maybe that's the more churchy word, right? They don't fight, they have disagreements. Because I would be a bad parent if they had fights, right? <laughs> there are times when they are yelling at each other or fighting and crying and whining. And there, there, there are times, now if this makes me a bad parent, I apologize, but I promise you've been there too, where you hear it and you simply allow the sound waves to enter into your ears and that's all, right? I'm not the only one? Come on, if you tell me you've never done that as a parent, you're, thanks Amy, I see that hand. Um, that's allowing the, the sound waves to enter into my head and do nothing about it. Then there are other times when I hear sounds that come about from those situations where I know that I have to do more than just allow the sound waves to enter into my head, right? I have to take action, like the blood curdling screams. I'm like, okay. I probably need to do something about that. Yeah. And so I get up and I do that, right? That's the idea of Shema. Shema, hear, O Israel, that what I'm about to tell you, you cannot simply hear it and sit by idly. 
What I'm about to tell you, Moses says to this next generation entering into the next phase of their life, what I'm about to tell you, it demands a response. It demands action. Now, interestingly, what I've kind of, um, kind of seen through scripture and, and in my walk with Christ is that any time that the word of God is spoken, whether that be through scripture or a, a pastor or a mentor or even a friend in a small group, anytime we experience the word of God, it demands a response. We have to respond. In fact, that's why, if you'll notice what the name of our, of our youth ministry is, we're Respond Student Ministries because of that very fact that when we hear the word of God, we have to respond. And everything that we do is a response to that word of God. Now, if you ask our teens, um, and what, if, if it's a trusting and obedient response to the word of God, then that is what? Any teens? If it's a trusting, obedient response to the word of God, it is what? Where's Leanne? <laughs> Leanne would know this. You got this? What is it? It is worship, yes. If it is a trusting, obedient response to the word of God, then that is worship. Now, we can also, we also know that our responses at times might not be trusting and might not be obedient, right? But every time the word of God is spoken, it demands a response. So Moses, he, he starts out this, uh, this, this section of scripture when he's talking to these people and he says, guys, you're getting ready to enter into this new phase of your life. Shema, hear, listen. What I'm going to tell you demands a response. You can't simply hear it and do nothing. It demands an action. And this is what he says next. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Basically, Moses is saying, guys, all of this stuff that I've talked about before, all that I'm saying right now, all that I'm getting ready to say, everything hinges on this one idea. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Everything hinges on this simple truth that our God, creator God, Yahweh, is the one true God. Everything hinges on this. Now this is a big deal for this particular scenario. Because remember, they're at the, the edge of the Jordan and the next generation is getting ready to enter into the next phase of their life. And in the next phase of their life, in the promised land, in Canaan, um, there's, there, is, um, there are lots of little g gods that are worshiped in this land that they're getting ready to enter in. So Moses says, guys, you're getting ready to go into this land where there are multiple, lots of little g gods and there's, there's, um, there's God, there's the God of um, fertility and there's the God of, of crops and then there's the goddess of orchards and the God of fire and on and on and on. And the, the, the land that you're getting ready to enter into, there are lots of little g God. And Moses says, don't, miss this. Your God, Yahweh, creator God, is the one true God. I encouraged our, our grads um, this morning, but 
but it, it, to be honest, it's, it's for everybody. They're on the verge of entering into a, something new. The next phase in their life, the next chapter where, let's be honest, there are lots of little g-gods. Um, there are lots of little g-gods that we as adults who may have already graduated or teens who have not yet graduated that we, that we face. Um, the God of the desire of wealth and material things. Um, the God of, of the pressure to have good grades and be successful in, the, in, a, in a worldly standard. Uh, the, the gods of, of future dreams and the God of climbing the corporate ladder. The God of making a name for ourselves. There's lots of little G gods that we come in, uh, in contact with that we will encounter. And Moses is saying, guys, when you go into this new place, there's gonna be all of that. Remember this one thing. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. About to enter into this new land of prosperity, this new land of wealth, uh, this new land flowing with milk and honey, which is funny to me because I'm like, milk and honey, that doesn't really sound that great. But if you told me like it was a land flowing with Ribs and barbecue sauce? I'd be, I'd be on that, right? This new land of prosperity flowing with milk and honey. And Moses says, in all of that, in all of those good things, and those are good things, in the midst of that, if you forget that the Lord our God, the Lord is one, none of that matters. None of that prosperity, none of that land flowing with milk and honey. If you forget that the Lord our God, the Lord is one, None of that matters. Now, I, I don't think that um, I don't think that Moses was was worried about um, the next generation going into Canaan, the Promised Land, and then all of a sudden becoming atheists who simply rejected God. I don't think that's what Moses was concerned about. You know what I think Moses was concerned about? That in this new land of opportunities and prosperities and wealth, that there would be Subtle shifts of priority. It's not going to happen all at once where you say, oh, never mind. I don't want you, God, because this place is cool and it has lots of milk and honey. Shuttle, subtle shifts in priorities. That over time you look back and you say, man, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is not true in my life. Can I tell you, this is my heart for um, for our teenagers and our, our grads that we're celebrating today, um, I never, I never, I never fear that they're going to go off to college and simply reject. I, I don't say that I never fear, but I typically don't worry that they're going to go and just simply reject the whole idea of God. But what I worry about and what I've seen is the simple. Subtle shifts in priorities. Where God no longer is central in their lives. Moses says, if you get this right, that the Lord our God, the Lord is one, that he is the one true God, the trajectory of your life will be on point. If we miss that, the trajectory of our life will be off course. Moses kind of uses this opportunity to remind the people 
of the centrality of our God. He is central to all things. And he goes on to say this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Pretty popular verse that, we, that I know you've heard. Remember, remember how I said when, when Moses said, Shema, O Israel, or hear, O Israel, that it was more than just letting sound waves into our ear, but it demanded a response. A response was necessary. I think in this verse, Moses gives us what that response should be. Given that our God is one, given that our Lord, the creator, Yahweh, given that our God is the one true God, here is your response. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This demands a response. It's central to our faith. This is the response. Love God with all that you are, with everything about you love God. That is the response that God calls us to. Now, you'll recognize that from uh, later in the New Testament when Jesus was asked, uh, what was the, the, the biggest command? Like, what was the most important commandment? In essence, how would you summarize all of the law? Everything that has been taught, how would you summarize it? And he says, what? Love God. And then he tacks on love others. This is it. Given that our God is who our God is, this is the response that demands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your soul. Then he goes on to say this. These commands, now these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. So here's the deal. We've established that, we've established that our God is the one true God. Uh, we established that we are to love him fully in response to that idea. Now what? It's pretty clear in Moses' kind of speaking to the next generation, getting ready to enter into the next phase of their life. It's clear, to Moses, it's clear to us as we read this that Moses was really concerned that this would be passed down from generation to generation. We see it over and over. Don't let these stories go untold. Don't let generation after generation after generation forget who God is. And Moses says, these commandments that I give you are to, today are to be upon your heart. I want to mention one thing about, uh, about the idea of commandments on here before we go on. When we think of commandments, we typically think of the 10 commandments that Moses uh, received on Mount Sinai, or maybe even the 600 some commandments and laws that are found in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. That's kind of what we have in mind when we think of commandments. And so when Moses says these commandments, we're, we're probably thinking those laws, these do's, these don'ts, and, and should and should not. But I think given the context of, of what Moses is talking about and through the rest of his, his speeches, if you will, um, I, think that, I think that this idea of the commandments and law goes a little bit further than those simple do's and do nots. It seems through this context of, of, this, of this speech that when Moses is talking about the commandments and the laws, he's not just talking about those lists of rules of do's and do nots, but he's also talking about the story. The story of God at work in the, life of, in the lives of the Israelites. That from the beginning of the Israelites, 
God's hand was at work. God was with them, was faithful, did not abandon, will not abandon. When he's talking about this idea of commandments and laws, I think it's important that we understand that he's talking more than just the do's and do nots. He's talking about how God has been faithful through their life. That God was always with them. So with that in mind, Moses says, these commandments or this story of God that I'm reminding you of right now, how God has always been faithful for us, this story, don't forget it. Keep it in your hearts. Firmly plant the story in your heart. Because remember, in what we'll see in the next verse, Moses was very intent on making sure that the people would pass it down from generation to generation to generation, but what comes before we pass the story from generation to generation to generation? It's gotta be real here, right? Yeah. It's gotta be firmly planted in our hearts before we can then pass it on from generation to generation to generation. These commandments, this story of God that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Before you can pass it along, it's gotta be rooted in your heart. And then he says this, impress them on your children. Again, he's referring to commandments or the story. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Again, Moses is very intent throughout the speech to make it clear, pass this on to the next generation. Make sure the next generation doesn't miss this. Make sure your kids don't miss this. Make sure the kids in the church who aren't really your kids, make sure they get this. Don't let them miss this. Impress it on their hearts. Our stories matter. Our stories matter to the next generation. Can I tell you as a youth pastor, your story matters to our teens. Your story, the story of God at work in your life matters to our teens it matters to our kids. They are listening. <laughs> I know sometimes it feels like they're not. Trust me, I talk to them every week. <laughs> they are listening. They are eager to hear God's story in your life. And one of the favorite, um, one of the favorite pictures that I have and memories that I have of my time here with uh, with your teens is <clears throat> we were doing um, kind of an intergenerational uh, service over in the FLC. Um, and we were doing these at round tables to kind of facilitate some discussion between the teens and some of the older adults. And there's this one picture that I don't even know who was taking pictures. Um, it might have been me, it might not, I don't remember. <laughs> but I was looking through the pictures and there's this one picture of one of the tables. And at one, uh, in one chair of the table is Russ Borland. And he's telling a story. And there's seven or eight teens uh, also sitting at the table. And in the picture, I don't know what he's talking about. He's telling a story of some sort. But in the picture, it's extremely clear that every single teenager that's sitting around that table is focused and deeply engaged and deeply listening to what Russ has to say. Our young people are listening. They are hungry for a church, for adults to invest in them and to tell them your story to tell them the story of God in your life. They want to hear it. It matters. Back to what Moses was saying. Moses is uh, 
Moses is kind of um, painting this picture uh, to say, tell the story, tell the story. And he's, it's almost as if he's, he's like creating these rhythms of storytelling. Um, the, the, for, so for the people that Moses was talking, talking to, the people that he was addressing um, and, and telling them to don't forget about God, tell the story of God, don't let this be forgotten. Um, there were lots of pretty evident reminders of God at work in their life, like God's hand providing for them. For instance, when they were hungry, what did they eat? Manna. Where did the manna come from? Right. It was raining food. That's weird, right? But what a reminder to say of the food literally falling from the sky, that God's hand is at work here. God is providing for us. They were following a cloud of smoke and a, a pillar of fire that represented the presence of God. God's hand at work was very evident in their lives in this time that they had just come from. But it's almost as though Moses is kind of foreshadowing to what it's going to look like very soon. When they enter into this promised land, this land of prosperity and this land of wealth, um, things are going to be a little bit different. There's going to be new distractions. In fact, a few verses later, Moses kind of warns them. He said, you'll be living in this place. You'll be living in houses that you didn't even build. You're going to be harvesting crops that you didn't even plant. You're going to have this wealth, this abundance of things that you didn't even work for. And in the midst of that, it's not going to be as easy to remember the hand of God at work in your life. And so it's almost like this foreshadowing of Moses knowing what was to come. It's not going to be, you're going to enter into a time where the reminders of God are much more subtle and the distractions from God are much greater. And he says, impress them on your, on your children's hearts. And then he kind of creates this rhythm. He says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Catch what he's doing here. The distractions are going to be great. It's going to take much more work to remember what God has done in your life. Create these rhythms of telling the story of what God has done. When you wake up, when you go to sleep, tell the story. When you're eating, tell the story. When you're cleaning up from dinner, tell the story. When you're washing dishes, tell the story. When you're tucking your kid in for bed, tell the story. Create these rhythms of telling the story of God in your life. The next, uh, the next picture that Moses kind of paints is, is kind of, it's amusing to me. Um, he says, tie them again, the stories, the laws, the commandments, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. <laughs> Write them on the door frames of your houses Moses, I, I, I think Moses is trying to get a point, the point across. Do whatever it takes to get the story told, to get the attention of the next generation, to get the attention of the young people. Do whatever it takes. It's going to take some creativity. In fact, if it means getting a tattoo across the forehead of the story of God as a reminder of the story of God, then do it. Do whatever it takes to get their attention. Creatively tell the story of God at work in our life. Do 
whatever it takes. Can I tell you, our young people are facing a whole lot of distractions. There's a lot of distractions that they have to face. And it's not the fault of their own, and I'm not going to pretend to place the blame on them. They're facing a lot of distractions. That means that we have to be creative in how we get the story to them. It's not on them to catch up with where we're at. It's on us to be creative, to tell them the story of God, to get their attention. The story of God matters. The story of God's hand at work in our life matters. Your story within God's story matters. I tell you, I talked about how Moses made kind of the hinge point of this, the idea that the Lord our God was one. And if we start there, then the trajectory will be right. I'll tell you how I think that God remains the center of our life, that God remains the central point of all that we do is through our story. When we look and we see what God has done in our life, how God has been faithful and God has provided and we tell that story and we use creativity to tell that story and we use rhythms to tell that story, somehow God remains the center point of our life. In the midst of, um, of new distractions, in the midst of new schools and new friends and new freedom, um, but in the midst of old routines and old jobs that we've been doing forever, in the midst of strained relationships and in the midst of strained finances, the story of God in our life reminds us of the centrality of God in our life. It's the answer that, that, we, have, that we give when people ask us about our faith. This is the answer that we give. Um, I understand that in saying that, talking about telling the story and sharing about what God has done in our life, I understand the pushback on that. To say that, yeah, that's all good and whatnot, but that would mean that I have to have all my stuff together and, uh, and, I, and I've got this thing going on so that I can then invest in the next generation and tell them my story. I don't think that's the point. I don't think the point is about us having it all together and doing it right all the time. Look at the model of Moses. Remember, as Moses was standing in front of the next generation, getting ready to enter the next chapter of their life, facing the promised land, getting ready to go into this new land that God had promised them, and Moses himself had literally been disqualified from entering into that promised land. He didn't have it all together all the time. He messed it up. But he took the point, he took the opportunity to stand in front of the next generation during the next phase of their life and tell the story of God. Tell the story of how God's hand was at work in his life and their life collectively. Moses took it upon himself to use the lessons that he learned to ensure the growth, the growth of the next generation. But Josh, you don't, know, you don't know how bad I've messed up. Like, I, this is not working. I can't share this story with the next generation. Can I tell you something? 
and I don't want this to sound harsh, but it's not about you anyway. (laughs) It's not about what you've done or what you haven't done or how you've messed up. This is all about the story of God in your life working in and through you. It's not about you. Moses, as he, as he continues and he finishes up this, this chapter, he kind of um, tells the people, when you're in your new land, uh, in verse uh, 20 through 23, uh, he basically says in the future, when people ask you, specifically he says, when your son asks you um, about this, uh, he says, in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders and great and terrible upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. Moses says, when you're sharing your story and people are asking about your story, never once in the answer that Moses said to give did he say, talk about what you've done and what you've accomplished and where you failed and where you've messed up. He says, tell this story, that we were enslaved and God set us free. And God gave us the promised land. And God did this and God did that. It's not about what you've done and what you haven't done. What's God done? What's God's story in your life? Moses concludes this chapter with a little bit of a, a difficult um, concept. Verse 24 and 25, he says, the Lord commanded us to obey uh, all, the, all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And then verse 25 gets a little bit challenging. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. What will be our righteousness? If we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God. If they obey all the command, that will be our righteousness. How did that work throughout the history of the Old Testament? How'd that go for them? This, these cycles of disobedience and failure are not just found here in the Torah. It's constant throughout the Old Testament. This idea of following the uh, the laws, obeying the commands, failing, turning back to God over and over and over. Moses says, if you follow all the commands, obey all the commands, that will be your righteousness. Church, can I tell you that given the history of the Old Testament, that wasn't really working out very well. I think that Moses saw that coming. I think that Moses kind of had an insight that even though he was giving these instructions, that it wasn't as simple as that. Later on in in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses is kind of still talking and he's talking about when will this happen? When When are things going to be good? When are we going to obey the commands and so that then that is our righteousness? When exactly is this going to take place? In, in, in uh, chapter 30, in verse six, again, Moses is saying, when is this going to happen? And, and Moses, with a bit of an, a moment of insight, I think, a moment of maybe foreshadowing, Moses says this, 
the Lord will circumcise your hearts so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul. Notice the parallel of Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Moses says, when will that happen? When will that be, when will that be the case? He says, when the Lord circumcises your heart. What's he mean? I think that Moses had an insight that it could never be about what we accomplished and what rules we kept and commands we obeyed. But that at some point, God is going to do something to, he says, circumcise our hearts. I think maybe for us, we would say, God will do something to transform our hearts. That it has to be a total heart transformation in order for us to do this. Guys, this side of, uh, this side of church history we know what that is, right? That our righteousness is not based on our ability to follow commands and laws and decrees. Our righteousness is based on one thing and one thing alone. And that is Jesus. The grace of God granting us righteousness. I think this is, this is kind of a, a point of Moses later on kind of looking forward to say, when will this happen not when you get all your stuff together and you get all your ducks lined up in a row, but this will happen when there's this Jesus who will transform our hearts. And that is our righteousness. I mentioned to my grads, but I mentioned to the entire congregation that that would be my prayer. that the trajectory of our life is on point because we have declared that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That nothing else matters if that's not in place. The centrality of God. God working in and through us. It's my prayer that we continue to become a church where the story of God in our lives is told not just told in our age-appropriate Sunday school classes, but that the story of God in and through us is told from generation to generation to generation. As I prayed this morning and, and, and encouraged this, the young people are our responsibility. It's our responsibility to share the story of God working in and through us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the work that you've done in our hearts. Thank you for the transformation that you offer through grace. Thank you for the righteousness that you offer. God, as we look um, through our lives, for me, it is evident to see you at work in my life, that you have always been faithful, you've never abandoned and I believe that you will never abandon. God, would you give us opportunities to share your story? It's not about what we've done and what we can do and can't do and what we've accomplished, but it's all about you. Thank you for your love, for your work, for your grace. God, I pray that you would 
put our young people on our minds and on our hearts. That we would seek out opportunities to share our story with them. Thank you. Thank you for your word. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great afternoon.